Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, right here on your community radio station. We're Forward Radio WFMP Louisville, broadcasting from high atop the Hayburn building at 106.5 FM. And we also live stream to the world at forwardradio.org. And if you're not on our website, check it out. Become a member of this community radio station. We built it for you. We want your voices behind these microphones and your talents behind the scenes helping keep this station going. Going. And we also rely entirely on listener support to keep the station going. So your $20 could support the entire day's broadcast at forwardradio.org. Well, I'm really thrilled to have a new friend in the studio with me today. I want to introduce our community to the new director of our Louisville Zoo. Dan Maloney is joining me in the studio. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. How long have you been the director now? I just celebrated my 10-month anniversary. 10-month anniversary. See, it's taken me 10 months to get you on board radio <laughs> i knew this was happening it was worth the wait though worth yeah, the right. wait we're totally worth the wait <laughs> we wanted to give you some time to settle in and uh, get to know the animals and the community well before we bring you on the radio this is so great to have you in here and talk about the zoo i've actually really never really talked about it on this show so it's going to be fun uh and if folks want to learn more about your zoo they can go to louisvillezoo.org before we talk about the zoo though dan tell us about yourself You've been in zoos for 39 years. I've been doing this for a while. I know it's hard to imagine, uh, but you know it's been a, it's been a privilege uh, to make my passion my career. Yeah, you know, that's not something that not I everybody take for can granted. say that, right? I never take it for granted. That's right. I've had my eye on the zoo for many years. Oh, really? My predecessors. Uh, both John Walzak and Bill Foster, both these guys are in way too good a health. I figured one of them would just get sick and fade away or something, but they just they just hung in there the whole time. But I would check in with them over the years. I first visited the zoo back in the late 90s when I had a chance to oh, come really? and check out a giraffe named Murphy. They were looking for a new home for Murphy and to this day still possibly the coolest giraffe I ever met. Oh, wow. Wow. So where else have you worked? What other zoos have you been in? I just immediately before this, I was in Jacksonville, Florida, at oh, the wow. Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens for 11 years. And before that, at the Royal uh, Melbourne Zoo, at part of Zoos Victoria in Australia. And then wow. uh, had a chance to be in New Orleans for 12 years. Uh, my wife and I met working at the Philadelphia Zoo mm -hmm. together, but I started at the Bronx uh, many, many years ago. Wow. Well, that is a, a rich history of zooing. And, of course, you must have a passion for it, and we're going to dig into that today. But you mentioned that you've, been, you've had your eye on the Louisville Zoo for a while. So what's special about our zoo here in Louisville, and what drew you to it? Well, you know, we're a relatively still young zoo. Mm -hmm. You know, we've just celebrated our... 53rd anniversary and that's that's pretty new really yeah. when it comes down to it and what's been achieved in such a young facility by such a young facility is pretty remarkable so when i first came here an islands exhibit was brand new at the time and it was a it was a pioneering concept where these animals could be rotated through these exhibits uh -huh. and if you look at the exhibits today yeah they're a little smaller uh <laughs> you know than they would be if we made them today but the concept is still a true and sound concept where animals from the tigers can go to where the tapers were the tapers can go where the simons wow. were. you know that that idea of giving giving variety and and uh, enrichment to the animals yeah. that was a brand new concept and i thought wow if this zoo 
had found uh, the way and had the will to do it. Plus, it seemed like a great community. So, yeah. so I've checked in over the years, and <laughs> and it worked out. So I'm really thrilled. Well, I want to learn more about how you do rotate animals like that. I, I would think a lot of animals communicate through scents, right? Wouldn't the scents left behind freak the other animals out? That's an excellent question, and that's part of the enrichment part. So oh. in the wild, of course, animals are going to come upon all kinds of different sure, scents sure. and smells. And the opportunity for them to see each other, yeah, sometimes it's probably a little startling for the orangs <laughs> to see a tiger right yeah. up against, against the, the mesh. But that's part of the, part of the enrichment. So okay. I think we, we, often, uh, we often believe that animals can't be you know, stressed or strained or anything. Well, that's not the way they live that's, in the, in right. the wild. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so that's part of what we, we try to do. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that the Louisville Zoo's done what it's done and then open Gorilla Forest and Glacier Run. And, you know, the, we're going to continue that tradition. That's so awesome. All right. Now, our Louisville Zoo, it's a nonprofit organization, right? But it's also an agency of Louisville Metro government and... It's the State Zoo of Kentucky. It has, explain to me how does this all work? You know, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, involved at times. Let's put it that way. And you know, there's there's really great benefits at being part of Metro. Certainly sure. through COVID, it was to the advantage of the advantage of the zoo. And we have a lot of great colleagues, you know, throughout the Metro government. And we have a great foundation. So there's, you know, we have the foundation board and we have the Friends of the Zoo board. Mm. And they're the ones that are, Friends of the Zoo take on Zoofari and Brew at the Zoo that's coming up on the 27th of yes. this month, 27th yes. of August. And so there's still VIP tickets available and that gets you in early and gets you access to the uh, VIP tents and things. And so Brew at the Zoo is back and it's going to be better than ever. And then, then we're also the State Zoo of Kentucky. We're the only accredited zoo in the state. There's one okay. other accredited facility, and that's the aquarium in Newport. Oh, right. The aquarium. Are there any aquatic species at the zoo? Well, we have the Herp Aquarium that was, again, ahead of its time. It was a great concept when it was uh, first, uh, first built. And John Walzak, my immediate predecessor, was brought in from, uh, from another zoo to really head that that project yeah. to get the herp aquarium uh, up and running so there are a number of aquatic exhibits and displays in the herp aquarium it was just we just uh, completed a facelift of of all the the uh, facades of the exhibits nice. but the it's also built with a green roof now again vegetated way roof. way ahead of time vegetated roof wow all way way ahead of its time and the way the the exhibits are grouped in the herp aquarium they're grouped by by habitat rather than zoogeography uh, zoogeographical uh, zones. So that oh, what happens is, then you can have those animals that would need cooler uh, cooler areas can all be grouped, and the desert huh. animals. And this way, you get a, a more efficient uh, efficient way of, of heating and cooling the building as well. But, but in the in the wild, they would be found maybe on entirely different continents, but they share similar habitats. Similar you know? habitats, yeah. And wow. so, so I think you know that again. Those that's that's ahead of its time. That's pretty cool. Wow. Uh, all right. So the State Zoo of Kentucky. You know, you recently received uh, some funding from Frankfurt, right? What's that for? We did. We we were able to get our first 
state appropriation ever wow. for ten million. <laughs> so, so the governor and and the general assembly, you know, we're we're all involved in this, and we believe that we're about as trans political. Uh, facilities you could be. Right. We want everybody to care about wildlife. We want everybody to care about conservation. And so I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Frankfurt, and we've got a lot of pals there. I did say to uh, to Morgan McGarvey, uh, <laughs> who, who he and his lovely wife, Chris, and they've got you know, three great kids, and they come to the zoo all the time, big fans. Ah. And I saw him in one of the Senate uh, hallways, and he said, oh, hey, how you doing? And how you finding? And I said, you know, everybody's really treated us well. I said, but I just want to let you in on a little secret. And he leaned over, and I leaned over, <laughs> and I said, I think Kentucky needs more counties. I think you need more counties. <laughs> Holy moly. You know, so coming from Florida, we have... We have Florida has 20 million people in the state of Florida and has 67 counties. 60, a measly right. 67 And we have 100 and, 100 and 120. 20. Unbelievable. Yep. And then, you know, being from New York State, uh, there's there's 19.3 million people there and there's 64 counties. So, uh, yeah, so it, it's a different dynamic for sure. And then that every That's other crazy. year budget year uh, cycle, that's uh, that's different as well. That's, yeah. That, I've never lived in a in a state and worked in a state that has that kind we of a, only budget have a shot every other year right yeah and so that that's why we decided to go for it on the master plan uh Did you start to, a pack or you hire a bunch of lobbyists well I mean, geez. the foundation was able to hire a lobby firm <laughs> really which, which helped a lot because really? they were great they they were able to be the my guides through through the hallways of frankfurt that. yeah absolutely wow. and we were coming in pretty late in the process and uh, and also, you know, we we chose Kentucky Trails, which has been on the master plan since 2016. And the way I figured it was that this this project would have potential for state appeal. Okay, uh, it's a celebration of the the wildlife and wild places of Kentucky. Oh, nice. And and it didn't have a lot to it. It was just mentioned. And it's designated as in these 20 acres that are undeveloped in the zoo, which is a real gift. Holy cow. And then in turn, you know, this is once in a generation money that states have had. So for us not to go for it, I think we would have been remiss. So we were very fortunate. I'm very thankful to the general assembly and to the governor's office. And certainly then the city came through and the mayor's office and Metro Council approved it for a $5 million match. So, so we're halfway home to a $30 million project, which is, Really unprecedented and uh, and not bad for ten months in. So no, not bad at all. Wow. So okay, you're going to look for some private funders to help support this project as well. What's that look like in the zoo world? Are there big foundations that support zoos? Or well, you know, we've been blessed in this community with great support. Mm. You know, and there there are those you know most notable families, but then there's a whole bunch of people that have also chipped in over time yeah. to to help us out. And so we figure, especially with the match, as we try to close that gap, I think we're going to see that same generosity. And I think in this case, you know, what we're trying to do is is really look at uh, look at this as a combination of an incentive. So we picked up the phone and reached out to the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, for oh, example. And yeah. we have a conservation fund that's derived from 25 cents from every paid admission, a dollar from every membership, and then the opportunity oh. for guests to round up their purchases. And it's mounted into a big, healthy chunk of money. And we're looking to, to dedicate 25% of that, at least, to regional conservation. Oh, nice. Wow. So... 
that's the partnership with the Fish and Wildlife that I that I heard about. Is I, I assumed it meant they were funding you. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. <laughs> I don't think they typically would get. But you know, that being said, I think they there will be opportunities for for helping each other yeah. along the way, and we're able to fold in some of our projects right away. Like they've got a monarch program. We have a monarch butterfly program, and there's no reason to no reason not to fold those in yeah. together. Uh, we have already been doing some wildlife surveying with them over the years, but it was individual employees from the zoo, staff members. So we want to make sure we support that effort. There's something called the MODUS Towers, M-O-T-U-S. It's technology out of Canada. And it's intended to be able to track wildlife movements. Oh, neat. So many animals uh, are already tagged yeah. uh, because of research projects. So those flying animals like birds, bats, even insects. And the more of these towers that are erected, the more opportunities for us to understand how animals are moving. And then lastly, uh, just for now, uh, hellbenders are the third oh, largest yeah you know, salamander in the world and they live in pristine waters and they come from some of the, uh, the more uh, remote places in the state right now. Uh, strangely enough, <laughs> Indian, Indiana, uh, Purdue and Indiana DNR, and then three accredited zoos in Indiana are already head starting hellbenders, but they're using Kentucky hellbender eggs. So I told, we went to a, went to a meeting at the Indianapolis zoo and I, have good friends there. And I was teasing him. I said, either we get in this project or we're going to start charging you for those eggs. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, but I think, I think fish and wildlife in Kentucky really wanted this, you know, they were looking for a partner and we've got the expertise and, and the interest to help with this. So, you know, we're going to erect the first two modus towers. Uh, we're going to, uh, one's going to go in the land between the lakes area oh, out that. there at, uh, at the research center for, um, for uh, uh, Murray State mm -hmm. and uh, the Hancock Biological Station. That's what our intention is. And then we hope that we'll get one at the uh, in Eastern Kentucky at the Taylor Forks, I think, has a research. That's that's uh, EKU. Yeah. And so I hope that it's not been compromised too badly from, from, flooding, from yeah. flooding. But the idea here is we're the state zoo. Let's get out there and, and do more uh, in the state. And I think regional conservation is extremely important. Wow. Reimagining outreach to yeah. you know to get back out on the road and go to people who can't necessarily come to the zoo. And then lastly, make sure that we're more inclusive. So that's why we're working wow. with Chris Christopher Tuex and his gang. Yeah. And then really trying to figure out ways to get people, you know, people to the zoo. So all that together is uh is the way we, we're trying to uh, to bundle this because there's a lot of opportunities for people to become more engaged yeah. with wildlife that's all around them so those modus towers does that provide real-time information about where wildlife are on the landscape absolutely uh but they provided they've got these you know these transponders yeah not transmitters yeah. but these are similar to what is is uh implanted in your dog or cat right but they're real sensitive and they can pick up on these things that's so cool and the more we know about how animals are moving and where they're going the better you can protect them yeah so maybe one day people will be able to go to the zoo and see on a screen what's Absolutely. happening with the wildlife in their region. Man, you should be a zoo designer. <laughs> the, uh, you're a natural. Uh, the you know that's the intention is to have something called the 
Kentuckiana Conservation Center and being able to highlight some of these these really uh, special animals and these projects going on. And I would love to be able to have, uh, you know, have a real time map as it's uh, as these animals are moving through. And, you know, I think it's, it's just easy to take our wildlife for granted. But I haven't lived this far north in <laughs> almost 30 years. And when I said that. I've, I've, uh, I've, I think I mildly offended some of my, my comrades because <laughs> they said, we're not north. I, and I said, I didn't say necessarily you're a northern state. I just said, I haven't lived this far north. And I was in New Orleans and Louisiana and, and Australia. But I said, you know, we're four and a half hours from Chicago. Let's, <laughs> let's, you know, let's call it the way. But what that, what that reminded me, and I don't know, you know, again, I grew up in North Jersey, so it wasn't like I wasn't seeing cycles of wildlife through the seasons. Mm. But I think we tend to just kind of, it's happening around us. We don't think so much about it. So when I take uh, Moses, our rescue Great Dane, I take him to, uh, to Champion Dog Park in the morning, and I've seen this past week, I've seen almost every day there are some cedar waxwings oh, already nice. there. These animals are already heading back from to Latin America. And I think people go, well, yeah, the birds are migrating. Well, it's a treacherous, difficult and energy sapping endeavor (laughs) to make your way from Latin America to North America (laughs) every year. And and I think we we don't ask necessarily why, but it's that explosion of plants and flowers. It's all that billions of bugs. These birds uh, make their way here because they can raise their chicks fast uh, without as much competition as you would have in the neotropics. And then they have to go back again. So that's happening right in front of our eyes. If we can help people appreciate, uh, appreciate those cycles and what wildlife faces, uh, we you know, I think that would be a, a good a good mission for us. Absolutely. My guest today on Sustainability Now is Dan Maloney, the new director of our Louisville Zoo. You can learn more about it at louisvillezoo.org. And there is a fundraising event coming up on Saturday, the 27th, that we're going to tell you more about. Brew at the Zoo is coming up. Uh, so these migrating animals, they may actually stop at the zoo. We do see animals come through the zoo. Uh, you know, we probably will put a modus, modus tower eventually yeah. up. There is one other one, and it's a good friend of mine. I thought we would be the first in Kentucky, and Mark Worms out at Bernheim. Yes. And, uh, and I've known Mark for many years. He was the director of the Kansas City Zoo. And I, just like in the Wrath of Khan, I went, Worms! You know, I think he, uh, he I, and I joked to him about that. So we've gotten together with, with his lovely wife, Patty, a few times since we've been here. So, nice. uh, so yeah, Bernheim's amazing. I got to go out there for the first Isn't time. Great? And boy, talk about, talk about an opportunity to help people understand wildlife in their midst. I mean, that's really pretty, pretty special. Oh, I love it. All right. So you've already started touching on it, but I think, you know, people have historically seen zoos as, as, oh, I don't know, maybe problematic and that we're sort of caging up wildlife and imprisoning wildlife, right? But can you tell us more about how you see our zoo's role in conservation and preservation of specifically endangered species? Well, you know, we see our mission as multifaceted. It's okay if people want to just come to enjoy the setting with their families. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, they, if they want to come and and uh, you know just have a good time and you know enjoy be taking you know taking an opportunity to eat some of the great food at our our restaurants and things. Yeah, but there's also a chance I think to 
to engage and to learn a little bit and to help support. So the Blackfooted Ferret Program, again, hats off to Bill Foster, who was, uh, who was one of my predecessors. That program, we're the second most successful uh, Blackfooted Ferret breeding and reintroduction program in the country. And reintroduction, wow. Yeah, so these animals, when I was in high school, Blackfooted ferrets were thought to most likely be extinct. They're the only ferret found in North America. They're a handsome little creature. Aww. Got a great little uh, mask to them. And yeah. they have their black feet, of course. And they're super fast and they're super efficient predators. But they live almost exclusively in and around and with prairie dogs. And they oh, eat prairie yeah. dogs, they eat voles and other small animals as well. And they were, uh, as the prairie dogs were being uh, wiped out, so were the ferrets. And so the National Zoo cracked that code. The Smithsonian's uh, National Zoo has a breeding center uh, west of D.C. Mm -hmm. They cracked that code, and then we all learned from them. So we've produced over 1,100 black-footed ferret wow. kits. Over 800 have gone back to the wild, and that's since uh, the early 90s that we've been involved. And then this year, we've had, we have like 40, I think it's 40 kits have been produced. That's only from six females. Ooh, so wow. they, I think like nine or 10 pairings were attempted. I think six produced. Because some animals struggle to breed successfully in captivity, right? It depends on the on the animals, yeah. but once you know, once you kind of crack that code, some are some are easier than others. Right. But these mustelids, the animals that are weasels, otters, skunks, they uh, wolverines, badgers—they're all part of that same yeah. that same family, and they uh, they have a some some of them have really peculiar breeding cycles. Okay. Uh, you know, and so they have delayed implants, uh, implantation. They have. Uh, susceptibility to light cycles and things. Oh, wow. But that breeding center at the zoo isn't even open to the public. Okay. That's something that we do because we feel it's important to our mission. Yeah. Now, black-footed ferrets native to Kentucky or no? No. Uh, they're animals that are found in the Great Plains oh, area. The okay. And they've been reintroduced in a number of sites. But at one time, they would have been found probably from southern Canada all the way to, wow. to Mexico. But but in, in, you know, they would be among the, the these prairie dog towns. Yeah. And they now, you know, they've been reintroduced. Those sites aren't usually well publicized. But, okay. uh, but again, when I, when I was in that, you know, we, I'm not even in the room. I'm in a, <laughs> a viewing area that looks through glass because this is a very, uh, a very biosecure okay. area. And it turns out that the mustelids, the ferrets and minks and weasels and things uh, seem to be more susceptible to COVID than other mm. animals. So mm. we, we don't take any chances. These animals belong to the people of the U.S. They're, it's, all, it's all managed in accordance with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service mm -hmm. standards. But when I was there looking at all these heads popping up in their enclosures, <laughs> and it, I, I mean, I got choked up because it was like I was looking through, looking at a room full of passenger pigeons or Carolina parakeets or great, you know, great ox or heath hens or any of these, these animals from North America that have disappeared, you know, during, uh, yeah. during the last few hundred years. Yeah. Because we are in the middle of another mass extinction, right? And if zoos aren't going to help out with this, I mean, who will, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, animals like the California condor, yeah. they, if it weren't for the San Diego and Los Angeles and Oregon zoos, that animal would not mm. be here. You wouldn't see them 
at the at Grand Canyon where they've be they were introduced there, and then areas in California, but wow. they would have been gone. Yeah. yeah, they were down to 18 animals. Wow, and they were pulled in uh, at that time into uh, into zoo settings, and then from there, you know, they're up to about then around 400 or so. Mm. So that's it's it's imp- it's an impressive record, and they have to teach these animals to become more savvy about what they have to do in the wild. The ferrets, of course, can't go just, they can't just open the door and let them out. Yeah. They get them into these, you know, they gradually get them back to the wild because they have to learn how to make sure that they can they can fend for themselves. They also have to avoid, you know, birds of prey and things. So there's, oh, a, sure. there's a whole bunch of, whole bunch of learning, uh, learning curves that have to take place. Wow. That's fascinating to think about how animals develop and pass on those kinds of skills. Uh, is some of it genetic or, or is it all learned? Man, that's a good. Those are good questions. <laughs> it's hard to know. You're like, you're like the male version of Terry gross. You're really amazing. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think we often, we often believe that animals are, are running on, on, um, Autopilot. You know, we think of right? yeah, instincts. and we all have instincts. We have right, instincts right, as well. Right, right. But any animal, especially the animals, that have to hunt. The, the animals have to dispatch other creatures in order to survive. <laughs> they better learn fast, and they better remember those those uh, those lessons, and they better be able to apply that knowledge does to get that, better. Does that mean that the zoo needs to feed them live animals? Well, again, that's a great question. And so in, in with the ferrets, they are one of the few animals at the zoo that do get uh, live mice. Wow. Uh, and they typically we are mindful of the welfare, not only of the animals for whom we're caring, but also for the prey species. So most animals that eat rodents, you know, those rodents come in. They've already been dispatched. They're frozen and thawed out, and then they're fed that way. Because you don't really want to put an animal through that if you don't have to. But in the case of the ferrets, it's essential that they, huh. know, they know how to dispatch live prey. Wow. So those are all important important skills. And I always say it doesn't matter if it's a butterfly or a blue whale. These animals are, you know, they're learning and they're applying that knowledge. Otherwise, they can't survive, you know. And, and so while we often may... Um, chalk it up to instincts you know we see it all the time especially in bird pairings those first pairings often don't result in eggs that hatch or they Mm. break the eggs they learn how to build better nests Mm. they learn how to be better parents i mean all these things are are part of what they have to do in order to uh to make sure they can get the next generation up and going i want to highlight something you said these animals, if they don't learn, they don't survive. To me, that points out really importantly that we are also animals, <laughs> and we also need to learn and adapt in order to survive, right? Especially in these times of highly unsustainable living and cold climate change, right? If we don't figure out how to learn from some of our mistakes. And, and just and, and pay attention. Now, I got a chance. I was invited by... Uh, by leadership at the uh, water at Waterworks at Louisville Water, and you know, I was I was fortunate. My my father was uh, was just he was tuned in to to water conservation from a from probably his his experience being in. The, he was one of the youngest people to ever I think to one of the youngest people to have been able to still fight in the Second World War. Oh, wow. He was seventeen when he went in. Wow, and. Uh, he served on a support ship. At that time, 
you would have had to be very mindful of your water rationing. Yeah. And in turn, I think he brought that back to us. So I was speaking to the, <laughs> to the people at, uh, at Louisville Water. I said, does it ever just does it just make you crazy that people just <laughs> don't even they just take it for granted they turn on the tap and it's coming we're fortunate that this city is next to a giant river right but right. you're looking at something like phoenix it's oh. the fifth largest city in the country it can't possibly sustain that many people without some major breakthrough exactly because they don't have enough water when we moved to australia melbourne was experiencing uh at that time about a, a decade old drought wow well not only did it changed the way people the practices around water but it changed the mentality the mm -hmm. sensibility and so people there it wasn't just a question of something being against the law it would have been morally and ethically unacceptable so if you were aerosolizing water for example you would have somebody would call you yeah you call you your your bill always had it, it always broke down if you were a one-person, two-person, five-person household, what you you should be averaging uh, using, they would they would give you all kinds of ways to, uh, you know, the little egg timers that are in the shower, you can flip yeah. those and those kind of things. But just it changed the way the housing codes, uh, construction sure. codes. You had to have water, rec you know, water uh, reclamation or and not water nice. but water capture, and then. Uh, I, I remember seeing uh, one of our neighbors, and these are retired folks, and they were pulling out, Sally was pulling out her corrugated gray tube from her washing machine and using it to water there you her, go. her plants. And I think that kind of, of understanding and awareness, uh, I think, is going to be extremely important as we move forward. I think we're getting a lot of people moving to Louisville in the next, probably in the next For couple our water of decades. richness, absolutely. You're, there's, there's, it limits the population. Yeah. It's the reason why Australia has 22 million right. people living in it. Right. Well, and you have taken that very ethic about water reclamation and reuse to the zoo, right? The Splash Park recycles the water. Absolutely. It's all treated, it's all treated water, but also Louisville water, you know, with their partnership, we've got the we've got the filling stations for water. Uh, SSA, who is our who's our vendor, who does our our restaurants and such, we're working with them. I'm hoping the next time the contract comes around, we're going to be using if we if we have to sell water, it would either be in the cartons or the cans. Right now, the contract has it yeah. in, in a different way, but uh, but we did it recently with our staff in nice. in that we had a bunch of bunch of steel bottles left over from some event right. box of it and i was watching these uh seasonal staff and god bless it was very hot but they were going for plastic bottles of, wa of water and yeah. i i just said you know we we should we should be better than this <laughs> we should, if, if we this should is not a disaster zone where we have nothing else <laughs> yeah right right it, absolutely and i think that that's that's an important part but yeah. these these resources are are something that just we just can't take for granted my guest here on Sustainability Now today is Dan Maloney. He is the director of the Louisville Zoo as of 10 months ago. You can learn more about it at louisvillezoo.org. Now, the black ferrets are not the only ones reproducing at the zoo these days. You've had a bit of a mini baby boom, right? Uh, tell us about uh, Azizi, the six-year-old Hartman's mountain zebra. Well, she, I think her mom is 
is a ZZ. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the and the filly that was born about twelve weeks ago. Yes. I, I think she's being named now. Okay. I think it, we at at Zufari, we had auctioned off the opportunity to sponsor her name, oh, and I think cool. those folks are back in town, <laughs> and I think they're gonna they're gonna choose a name for her. But she's <laughs> you know she's a lot of fun to watch, and she jumps around. And we had a wallaby born not too long ago. We have our lynx cubs. Oh wow. We have a we have a blue gray uh, blue and gray tanager chick that. Uh, that is now fledged, fledged meaning that they've, they've, they're big enough to leave the nest. Oh, yeah. Now. So yeah. They, she still looks a little small, but, uh, but looks, you know, almost identical to her parents. And, you know, I think those are, those are always fun because it, it's, it adds life to sure. the, to the, the zoo. And, and yeah. so, so we're always thrilled to welcome in uh, new residents. Yeah. People love to see that. Well, cool. Now, I also noted that the Louisville Zoo is a certified sensory inclusive location. I don't even know what that means, Dan. Well, Culture City is a, is a company that has been working with museums and zoos and such. And it, they will help certify your facility and train staff, and we all took online, online training. Uh-huh. But the awareness that you know these this neurodiverse neurodiversity that we see, uh, that there are people who are coming to the zoo who often are either, you know, it's either too noisy or uh. they need the opportunity to experience the zoo in a in a bit of a different way. And we're just trying to be conscious and sensitive to that, and especially with with as many uh, many children oh my who, gosh, are, yeah. who are experiencing, you know, that these uh, these spectrum related uh, related um, conditions, yeah. and and so for us, we just feel it's part of our drive to be as inclusive as possible. Wow. Can you yeah. give me an example of what that looks like in a particular exhibit? Sure. There, there are areas that have been set aside where we have uh, more quiet places, for example. There are headphones that can be checked out if people need to just dampen nice. down the sound a little bit. Uh, there are... Um, for some some children, it's called you know stemming, where they they need something to oh, yeah. to work on, like a squeeze ball or something uh-huh. that can occupy their uh, their their movements and mm-hmm. their their attention. So we want to be able to to provide those things, but also it's really about the awareness for our staff as well. So if we see a child that's having uh, you know a bit of a a bit of a moment, you know we we understand it better and we lend help when wow. we can yeah. to the parents or guardians that yeah. are there. And I think that's, that's always an important part. And that's my goal is to, to have the zoo is to be the safest, most engaging, most inclusive place anywhere. You know, I want to make sure that we're, we're always looking to, uh, to engage people in, in all kinds of yeah. different ways. Who comes to our zoo, Dan? Is it, is it largely people from the area or do, do we get a lot of tourists coming and, we get school we get, groups versus families. Yeah, we get, we get all those things. <laughs> uh, last year we had eight hundred and fifty-seven thousand two hundred and thirty-three visitations. Wow! So you know we're hoping that this year we'll we'll do even better. Uh, but that was the best we had done probably in five or six years. Uh, with with our 
with our guests. We know we have guests coming from all the counties in Kentucky. Uh-huh. We know that we've had guests from all 50 states. The majority of people, yeah, they're coming from southern Indiana. They're coming from Jefferson and Bullitt. And okay. Clay, you know, they're coming from the surrounding the surrounding uh, counties. But, you know, that's part of what we're trying to do in, in, in appeal and get out there more to, to those places that uh, – yeah, we may have not served as well. Yeah, are you tracking demographics and zip codes and stuff like that? We do. We we track all the zip codes. I yeah. think one of the figures that resonated with uh, some of our uh, really supportive lawmakers, like Senator Julie Rocky Adams, you know that we are we are the most uh, popular and uh, successful not for profit paid attraction in the state. We we get about really? two hundred and. 40,000 more people paying to visit us than Mammoth Cave. Really? Yeah, and I think those those wow. things and and it was really because I had I just started doing my research because I was Who knew? new here and, <laughs> and I was curious as to where we ranked and yeah. often you see those you know those rankings of some of the places that are considered to be these top tourist attractions. Uh, we work with Louisville Tourism, and Cleo Battle is on our board, and he's been very helpful. We we really want to make sure that those uh, those tournaments and conventions yeah. and conferences that are coming to town, we're reaching out to people and, and providing incentive to come and, and visit us. They're already finding their way to us. I I speak to guests all the time, and mm. the archery tournaments, girls volleyball, women ba- women's basketball, the dairy cattle. Exposition. Yeah. We've got the we got the farm exposition coming. We got the county fair. We want to make sure that people know that we're a great family attraction and yeah. they should come and and visit us. All right. Well, of course, a lot of kids come to the zoo, but as an adult, a child-free adult, I'm excited about your adults-only fundraiser that's coming up on Saturday the 27th. Tell us about Brew at the Zoo and Wine too. Absolutely. Well, you can channel your inner child if you'd like to, as long as, long as that child's over 21. But anyway... Uh, the brew at the zoo, you know, there's there's all kinds of sample pours that you're going to nice. be able to enjoy. There's going to be uh, some great food uh, food from SSA that people have a chance to uh, to chow down upon. There'll be some food trucks there as well, and nice. I think for those people who would like to get in a little earlier, that's where that VIP ticket comes in. And it's you know it's a great it's a great opportunity to come out and have the zoo to yourself. Because do you get a behind the scenes tour too? Well, we're gonna have a number of you know. We're going to have a number of enrichment opportunities out there. People, will, there'll nice. be keepers who will be um, who'll be out and encourage their animals in different ways. I'm not sure uh, that beer and behind the scenes is probably a, probably <laughs> the right, best good point, probably yeah. the best combination, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, nonetheless. So it's five thirty to nine thirty, but these VIP passes are still available. Get you in an, in an hour early. Yeah, I get in earlier, an hour earlier, and come on in. And I think you know, even for someone who's served in zoos for the for the length that I have had, yeah. uh, I always enjoy the time. Uh, you know, at that evening time when the zoo is is emptied out and yeah. you're still there. It's it's always kind of magical, so I think right. people really enjoy it. Nothing like the golden hour over at the zoo, and of course, all proceeds will benefit the zoo's education, conservation, preservation, and cultivation projects. Nice, nicely done. Well done. <laughs> I saw that and I loved it. The cultivation projects, I love that. Uh, so it, there will be musical entertainment as well, uh, and it's on Saturday 
the 27th, uh, you can get your tickets now at louisvillezoo.org, right? Absolutely. We want to see you out there. Come on out. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, well, we're nearing the end of our time. we got about five more minutes left. And uh, one thing that's kind of been wondering in my mind, you know, so many institutions are struggling with staffing issues right now. And I'm sure that affects the zoo. But there is particular talents, right, that are required uh, and, and academic backgrounds and things like that to, to be a good uh, zookeeper. I'm sure you have lots of other positions as well. Uh, how has that impacted your work at the zoo? Well, you know, we're fortunate to have mission-driven people. Right. And so within the animal ranks, we, we get a lot of people who still, you know, they, they want to make their dreams come true and, <laughs> and work with animals. So we're, we're really fortunate in that regard. I think where you're going to see the the challenge, and you know, we've raised, I mean, we've raised season, the seasonal, uh, the seasonal wages, you know, have gone up across Metro, but you know, those craftspeople, the carpenters, electricians, plumbers, yeah. you know, that's that's where that's where I think we're all we're all finding challenges. Yeah. And we already work with uh, JCTC, you know, great Jefferson County Technical College, with people who want to learn how to be. Uh, zookeepers to come in, but I think there's I think there's some opportunities here with uh, with some of the people who want more experience yeah. in the in the crafts because yeah. that one I think is a challenge for for all of us. And what about everybody's been talking about supply chain issues affecting what they do? I can imagine. Oh my gosh, a, a, something like a zoo that needs to feed animals. What what do you do in a situation like that? Yeah, th those are you know we we are mindful that most of our project projects uh, are going to be more expensive and are going to take longer yeah. than we expect them to. <laughs> we've been we've been lucky. I'll knock on this wood here that about about feeding the animals. Oh good. Uh, but even with things like hay in a in a in a state like Kentucky, you know, you know, sometimes you're you're looking at at uh, challenges there huh. as well. So, huh. you know, we we have a crew of commissary keepers who are always working like it's like watching a you know Santa's workshop there or something. They are just preparing food all the time <laughs> and all the diets because an awful lot goes into yeah. feeding those animals. Oh, good. Okay, I'm glad. The crisis hasn't quite impacted you as badly as some others. Uh, that scares me to think about these animals in in in, in a supply chain crisis. Uh, but I want to get end on talking about this piece of land that is still undeveloped at the zoo. You said there's 20 acres of it. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. That's a, I had no idea. And our goal is to try to keep it as natural feeling as possible. I I don't really want to see a you know. A lot of of human structures. Okay. We're going to have bigger herds of of animals like elk and wow. bison, bigger groupings of of uh, turkeys, and also the opportunity to showcase those natural behaviors more with something we're going to call the habitat theater or wildlife theater, uh, rather than just seeing animals kind of stuck in these these smaller areas. People will be able to to drive through a kind of a we're calling it the upland south safari. Oh venture where you'll be able to go in and among the herds of bison and elk and chance for for people to touch a bison safely and you know and a big rickhouse hall where you will have be able to have events and use it as a restaurant as well oh, wow. so i think you know we, as we look at at creating a feel 
and a an atmosphere there, and also drying our best. I'm hoping that we can even dig some of those wells that are used to uh, to geothermal thermally can you know heat and cool yeah. your area I, it's been, we did it in new orleans and i know it's, it was done in tennessee recently wow i think we uh, we should be able to do something like that there so we're going to be looking to be lead certified to be able to use the the most responsible practices possible and you already have some things that you demonstrate to guests, like some solar, right? We have we have photovoltaic uh, panels up on our admin building, and also, you know, our carousel. A good yeah. portion of our carousel is powered by uh, by the panels. Uh, I love that. Side. Yeah, I think I think we we just keep on looking for these opportunities and and trying our best to to show that if you know if we pay a little bit of attention. And uh, we appreciate what's what's around us. You know, we we can incorporate those uh, behaviors and sustain the behaviors. I think that's the big that's the big Absolutely. challenge: sustaining the behaviors and just introducing the next generation to what the future can look like. I, I so value the the zoo's ability to do that. Uh, it, it's it's such a great resource to have in our community. Thank you so much for doing this work, Dan, and for taking the time to join me. It's today. been awesome. I look forward to coming back. All right. My guest today has been Dan Maloney, new director of our Louisville Zoo. He'll see you on Saturday the 27th at the Brew at the Zoo. Don't miss it. And learn more at louisvillezoo.org. Thanks again, Dan, for taking the time. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I've got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas besides having a brew at the zoo about how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friend. Down by the waterside, take our time. Down by the waterside, got no worries and no worries. Down by the waterside, Gonna set them free, yeah, yeah. Set me free, yeah, yeah. Set me free. And we're rolling on the river. Ooh, child, she's an easy giver, yeah. And we're diving in the lake. Swimming in the sea, I said
miss it all All I really wanna do We are back here on Sustainability Now on your community radio station, WFMP Forward Radio, broadcasting at 106.5 FM and live streaming at forwardradio.org, where you can go right now, get engaged in sustainability by becoming a programmer here at the station or a volunteer. We'd love your help at forwardradio.org. Behind me now are the sweet sounds of Apple Latin, our local favorites. Many thanks to them for giving us permission to post their great music on the podcast versions of our programs, which you'll also find archived anytime at forwardradio.org. And you can learn more about them at appalatin.com. Well, sharpen those pencils. Get those calendars out, my friends. It's time. Let's get engaged for sustainability this very week. Tuesday, August 23rd, from 3 to 8, there will be a Zoning Matters Conversations with a City Planner, this time out at the Southwest Branch of the Louisville Free Public Library. These conversations are part of the ongoing Land Development Code reform. It's an equity-focused approach to revise our zoning laws in the city, consistent with Plan 2040 to allow for increased housing choices and opportunities in new and existing neighborhoods, to create procedures and regulations that are easier to use, and to increase the quality of life by reducing the concentration of environmental hazards near housing. So Joel Dock from Louisville Metro's Office of Planning and Design Services will be available to answer any questions about zoning, what it is and why it matters, and discuss the ongoing Land Development Code Reform project. They want to hear about your neighborhood and discuss what the reform means to you. So come on out if you're near the Southwest Regional Library of the Louisville Free Public Library on Tuesday the 23rd from 3 to 8. And it wraps up in the Portland neighborhood on Tuesday, September 6th from 3.30 to 8 p.m. You can learn more at louisvilleky.gov. Just search for Land Development Code Reform. Now, also Tuesday the 23rd at 6 p.m. out at the Western Branch of the Louisville Free Public Library, there will be a Jefferson County Public Schools School Board Candidates Forum for District 1 at 6 p.m. on the 23rd. Hear from school board candidates running to represent parts of the West End, Downtown, and Old Louisville. Those candidates are incumbent Diane Porter and challengers Charlie Bell, Carol Travis Clark and Amara Brewster. The Courier Journal's education reporter Olivia Krauth will be moderating the forum. And you can get more information at lfpl.org. And just come on out Tuesday the 23rd at 6 p.m. at the Western Branch of the Louisville Free Public Library. Get yourself ready to vote for the school board this year if you're in District 1. Also on Tuesday the 23rd, I don't know if you can get to all of these in one night, maybe if you try really hard, at 7 p.m. there'll be a virtual event featuring Jeff Frank on the future of the Floyd's Fork Natural Area. Forward Radio's proud community partner, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, will be hosting special guest presenter Jeff Frank. He's an environmental advocate and leader of Friends of Floyd's Fork. It's teeming with life. It's home to over 40 species of fish, hundreds of species of birds, and an astounding number of amphibians, mollusks, and mammals. Trees currently fill about 53% of the South Floyd's Fork watershed, but planned development. That is happening because we made a world-class park in our green spaces around the suburbs without creating any kind of urban growth boundary like Lexington has, has spurred all of this development, paving, housing, 
Sprawl, sprawl, sprawl. It greatly threatens Floyd's Forks and their endangered public health and safety as well and the community's access to a healthy river, including the multi-million dollar investment in the parklands of Floyd's Fork. Many of us were saying when they were talking about that investment in the parklands that if we didn't do anything about zoning and restricting development, we were going to have this problem. And here we are. They did it and did nothing to prevent development. And now we're stuck. So Jeff will present possible actions we can take now, including advocating for a direct oversight committee for Floyd's Fork, uh, demanding responsible development, and pressing for stricter floodplain and clean water management. Please plan on attending this informative program to learn about how we can act to protect this important regional natural space. Sierra Club programs are always free and open to the public. You can find the link to register for this free virtual event at 7 to 8.30 p.m on Tuesday the 23rd at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Now, that's Tuesday. Wow, a lot happening on Tuesday. Let's move on to Wednesday, August 24th at 7 p.m. There's going to be a documentary screening out at the Passionist Earth and Spirit Center, 1924 Newburgh Road, and the title of the film is Plastic Wars. Beyond Plastics Louisville is hosting their first public event on Wednesday evening, and they invite you to join them to view and discuss the eye-opening 2020 documentary Plastic Wars from Frontline and NPR, an investigation of the plastic waste crisis from multiple perspectives. Beyond Plastics Louisville is part of a nationwide grassroots movement to raise awareness about plastic pollution and promote alternatives to single-use plastics. After decades spent promoting recycling, we know that at least that less than 9% of all plastic produced has ever been recycled. We cannot recycle our way out of the plastic problem, my friends. And Beyond Plastic seeks and supports sustainable solutions that get us away from single-use plastics. You can learn more by searching for the Beyond Plastics Louisville group on Facebook and come on out this Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the Passionist Earth and Spirit Center on Newburgh Road. Also on Wednesday at 6 p.m., it's the next in the Planning for Middle Housing Workshops. Louisville's affordable housing crisis and urban sprawl are being fueled by the so-called missing middle in our local housing stock, which is overrepresented by detached single-family homes and mid-rise apartments with little in between. Louisville Metro Planning and Design Services would like to build a middle housing neighborhood with you. At this workshop, participants will work together in small groups to build a middle housing neighborhood using Lego bricks. The bricks represent different types of housing, including detached homes, duplexes, and cottage courts. A park bus stop and neighborhood services are also included to help you build out your complete neighborhood. They invite you to build at these four upcoming workshops starting on Wednesday the 24th at 6 p.m. out in the Shawnee Library in the Community Meeting Room at 3912 West Broadway. The next one will be Tuesday, August 30th at 6 p.m. at Crescent Hill Library. Then Wednesday, the 7th of September at 6 p.m. in the Newburgh Library. And it wraps up on Tuesday, September 13th at 6 p.m. in Iroquois Library. The workshops are being offered as part of the ongoing land development code reform process. For more information and to view a map of events and meetings, just go to louisvilleky.gov slash LDC reform. 
Now, coming up this Saturday, August 27th, it's the next pop-up drop-off free recycling event for residents of Jefferson County. You heard all about it when I had Karen Maynard on the program a few weeks ago. And it is coming up this August 27th out at Eastern High School. Uh, 12400 Old Shelbyville Road uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday. Reminder that they will accept up to three electronic items for recycling. All metal and appliances, though no refrigerators or any items containing coolant can be recycled. Uh, but other things can. Up to four passenger tires can be recycled. Household recyclables following the usual curbside rules. Yard waste uh, also following those usual curbside rules. And they will accept wooden pallets for composting at these events as well. If you have documents that need to be shredded and recycled, you can take them on Saturday to Eastern High from 10 to 2. And if you have any expired or excess prescription medication, do not flush it. Do not throw it in the trash. Dispose of it properly at the pop-up drop-off event at Eastern High on August 27th from 10 to 2. More information at louisvilleky.gov slash recycling. Also on Saturday, yeah, you heard about it on August 27th, the Louisville Zoo's adults-only fundraiser. Your chance to get to, into the zoo and enjoy the golden hour and all the animals and some musical entertainment and delicious beverages from 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. Brew at the zoo and wine too on Saturday with early VIP access starting at 4. You can enjoy tastings from craft breweries and wineries as well as non-alcoholic beverages animal encounters and musical entertainment from the duo Kevin and Lauren all proceeds will benefit the zoo's education conservation preservation and cultivation projects more information and tickets are available at louisvillezoo.org and the last event on our calendar this week I'm so excited that Cycluvia is returning to Frankfurt Avenue on Sunday, August 28th from 2 to 6 p.m. out on Frankfurt Avenue. Louisville's popular Open Streets event will take place this Sunday. Frankfurt Avenue will be closed to cars and pollution between Pope Street and Stills Avenue. Cycluvia is your opportunity to experience Louisville as you never have before by walking, cycling, skateboarding, dancing in the street, doing whatever you want. Streets account for a massive amount of public land in all cities, and Cycluvia repurposes these public spaces by temporarily replacing traditional car traffic with human power and people. Streets become paved parks where people of all ages, abilities, and socioeconomic backgrounds can come to improve your mental, physical, and emotional health. Don't miss it. Cycluvia is a great fun event, and it is free on Sunday, August 28th. 2 to 6 p.m. on Frankfurt Avenue between Pope and Stills. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and being advocates for sustainability in our community. Together we can change. Together we can be better. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. That sweet, sweet summer rain. Yeah, yeah, come and take